Thanks for tuning in to localjobnetwork.com radio, where you can find all of your favorite employment-related shows. I'm your host, Katie Chesney, and you're listening to Job Search Guide, a show where we get tips and tricks from experts on how you can land your next job. And if you don't want your resume to end up in the trash can, you've come to the right place. Today, we are discussing eight deadly resume mistakes and what you can do to avoid them. And joining us today is Kathy Miller-Miller, and she is a resume and interviewing professional, frequent blogger, and the author of Your Journey from Fired to Hired. And you can find her at kathymillermiller.com, and that is Kathy spelled K-A-T-H-I. Now, Kathy, thanks for joining the show today. Thank you very much for having me, Katie. It's good to be here. So I was just wondering if you could share your experience with us as it relates to resumes in the job search process. You bet, Katie. For the last couple of decades, I have been at various levels of management, um, and all of those opportunities required me to screen candidates. So I have quite a lengthy experience of uh, looking at resumes, trying to find the best candidate, um, and also from a protection of my own standpoint of time, trying to make sure I don't interview people that on paper won't present value in person to me. Mm-hmm. So let's dive right into these sins and discuss why they could land a resume in the garbage can. So the first one would be typos and grammatical errors. And I I think this seems pretty obvious, yet it it still happens. Why is that? Katie, I wish I had the answer for that. Uh, The (laughs) job market is so competitive, yet people still make this basic mistake. Mm -hmm. Um, And it constantly amazes me. But I have to tell you, on multiple occasions, I've even had candidates send me cover letters with the wrong position title or company reference in the letter. You know, and using templates are great. Obviously, when you, the job search can take a lot of time, right? You know, by the time you find the actual opportunity, you get everything prepped, you send it in. I get that it takes a lot of time. But boy, those opportunities are so rare and so special that you just have to double and triple check. And uh, a lot of candidates just don't do that, Katie. Mm-hmm. To what level will an employer take typos and grammatical errors? Like if you're missing a comma, will that land your resume in the trash or does it have to be more significant like that, Um, like you mentioned with uh, the wrong position or company in the cover letter? You bet. Great question, Katie. And, you know, unless the competition is completely insane Mm -hmm. uh, or unless you're applying for a job, maybe like a copy editor, obviously in that case, a comma would matter. Mm -hmm. But that aside, you know, comma is not a big deal. But poor grammar, obvious typos, partial omissions that show an obvious lack of attention to detail, those are devastating. Mm -hmm. I've had candidates omit the last two numbers on their phone number or incomplete email addresses or sentences that literally just stop in the middle of of nowhere, you know, where they've done a copy and paste and just didn't even take a chance to read that final proof before they sent it. Those are devastating because as an interviewer or a potential employer, it tells me that giving me your best work was just not that important to you. So what should job seekers do to ensure this won't happen so that they're sending a proper message to employers? Well, first and foremost, and I alluded to this a little bit earlier, realize the opportunity that you have in front of you is a complete gem and, and treat it as a, as a precious opportunity. By that, you know, double and triple check everything before you send it. Again, templates are great, but they can also, you know, be your worst nightmare. Check it at night, you know, then get some distance from it. Check it again in the morning before you submit it. It's always a great idea to have a fresh pair of eyes, you know, whether it's a a spouse or a good friend or a colleague or a mentor, but just, you know, spending that extra five to 10 minutes to make confident that it gives the impression of you and your professionalism that you want 
before you hit submit or, or drop it in the mail is, are your best bet, Katie. Now, the second resume mistake that you mentioned, and I, I found these in an article on LinkedIn, just for those who are wondering, um, and that second was a lack of detail. And you kind of mentioned this earlier before. So what do you mean by a lack of detail when it relates to resumes? Yeah, this, and I'm glad to have the opportunity to discuss this with you, Katie, because mm-hmm. it's a little hard to describe in print. But what I have found a lot over my, my career in, in talking with applicants and reviewing applicants is that maybe somebody will try to be intentionally vague really for one of two reasons. Either first, they think that uh, they're going to be sly and it'll get them the opportunity to interview. Or secondly, and probably even more common in these cases, they really don't have the experience. Okay. And so they, they think that if they can just kind of be general and neutral, they'll get the opportunity for an interview and, and you never know, maybe then they can, can sell themselves. So, you know, a perfect example maybe would be a position that indicates it requires extensive experience with vendor management, mm-hmm. but you don't really have any vendor management, right? Mm-hmm. So then maybe you would indicate that you have experience working with internal and external teams. You know, it's kind of squishy. You, you know, you think you can get by with that. But as a recruiter, it tells me absolutely nothing. Okay. If I'm desperate, I may still call you for an interview because there's a chance, right, that, mm-hmm. that you have a skill I need. But if I have five other candidates that provide me specifics about their vendor management experience, then your your resume will go to the garbage. Mm-hmm. So, what does this lack of detail send to the employer? Like, as far as the message, the lack of detail, honestly, and this sounds cold, doesn't really send any message to the employer because, quite honestly, they don't think about it that long. Okay. Yeah, you know, they're going to review the resume. If the detail provided appears to match what they need or is otherwise engaging, then the resume is going to go in the maybe or the yes pile. And if the detail is insufficient it goes in the no pile. Mm-hmm. And a screener never thinks about it again. So as a job seeker, how do you determine where that balance is of providing enough detail, but not then, you know, too much detail where it's overwhelming and you're being too specific? That's another great question, especially when you consider the average adult attention span is like eight to 12 seconds at this point. Mm-hmm. So it's a fine line for sure. The best advice I could give your listeners and Katie is that they just need to think of what the purpose of their resume is. Okay. What is the purpose when you send out your resume? It's to get an interview, right? Right. So when you think of it in that regard, you don't need to provide so much detail that you're in your resume that you have nothing to share in your interview. Instead, you just want them to acknowledge that there's a good chance you could have what they need. Mm-hmm. So a good example, because I know, again, this is a little bit squishy. Let's say you're interviewing for a fundraising position that re- requires extensive communication and presentation skills. Okay. Okay. So, but instead of listing the number of presentations and the topics and maybe the audience size, mm-hmm. and by the way, those are along the lines of duties and not accomplishments, which, you know, maybe we'll get into a little bit later. But instead, you might say something like, I leverage PowerPoint and YouTube presentation skills to increase donations by 15%. As a screener, this tells me everything I need to know because you've proven, right? Mm -hmm. You've given me enough detail in the communication skills that that's not going to be a hindrance for you to achieve the goals that I need you to achieve. Does that make sense? Yeah. So then you've proven it because you've mentioned that you use these two mediums to increase something by 15%. So then from that resume, you caught them. And then in the interview, you can kind of explain what you did to get that 15%. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you for that example. I just want to dive into the third thing on your list, and that was one size fits all. So I've heard a lot and many, many times over and over again that customizing your resume is 
the best thing to do. So can an employer really tell if you don't customize your resume? You know, I would tell you that they may not be able to specifically notice if you don't customize it, but they will definitely notice if you do. Okay. So it's a huge benefit to take that extra time because really, if you think about it, you may be applying for 20 different jobs, right, Katie? Mm -hmm. But the employer is only looking to hire one person and they need one particular skill set. And so as they review resumes and select candidates to interview, if you've just got a general resume out there, you're not really going to necessarily do anything to speak to their specific needs. Mm -hmm. But if you take and look at their job duties and you look at maybe some of the company structures and you can throw in some of those things specifically that they're looking for, then you have a much better chance of rising to the top of the pile. And um, the fourth item is actually kind of something that relates to customizing your resume, and that is underestimating the importance of word selection. So can you explain why word selection is important when you're looking at your resume? I can. And, uh, you know, it's probably one of the things that a lot of job seekers aren't aware of. And it it really can be frustrating to a job seeker, Katie. But for folks like myself that do a lot of screening, it's just a necessary evil. And that is that a lot of the larger companies use a tool called an RMS or a recruiting management software. And it takes the initial pass um, by looking at candidate resumes. Mm -hmm. So in all likelihood, there's a a high likelihood that you've applied for a job or one of your listeners has, and their resume has never even seen human eyes. Mm -hmm. And that's why keywords are so important to make sure that you use the right words, because when the recruiter sets up um, that resume screen, they will put in, you know, these 20 words are important to me, et cetera. And then it literally scores the resumes. And then they can say, you know, I want my top five, I want my top 10, um, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And some of the more advanced ones can even look for formatting issues and typographical problems. So how do you determine what these keywords are? I mean, are they like bolded in the job description or are they just mentioned more than once in that job description? In some cases, that's accurate. They're kind of bolded. Sometimes they're not. Uh, Sometimes you'll just have to read through the job description and notice that the same word appears, you know, four or five times. So that's a pretty good indication that that's a keyword for them. What I always recommend to folks when I work with them on resumes is that you go out and find a job description, um, four or five different job descriptions for the same type of position. Okay. And then you also kind of get a feel for the industry nomenclature, if you would. Mm -hmm. And then if all else fails, of course, there's always Google. I mean, you can literally go out and put in a keyword, a search for keywords for uh, radio broadcast jobs, mm-hmm. for example. They'll have, you know, 20 different words maybe that are associated with most of your major professions. The fifth item, and you kind of mentioned, you alluded to this earlier, is um, focusing on duties instead of accomplishments. Now, again, this is one of those things that seems fairly obvious to me, and many people talk about this. So why is this still something that's occurring where you're just focusing on well, I I do X, Y, and Z, but you're not focusing on what your actual accomplishment was or the value that you added to that organization. You know, I I wish I could understand why applicants struggle with that so much, Katie. I don't, Mm -hmm. you know, unfortunately, I kind of specialize in interview prep and and employee management and not the psychoanalysis side of it. So Mm -hmm. I can't answer the why, but I can tell you people do. My only guess is that we're so, people are so busy that they tend to try to go through more of a, you know, a list type of approach to life, you know, we're so busy, get it on the list, get it off the list, get it Mm -hmm. on the list, get it off the list. And so that coupled with the fact that when they see their job descriptions, their job descriptions are typically duty listed, you know, that it just takes that extra effort for an employee to make that leap from duty to accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And, and a lot of folks 
just don't do it. But, you know, one of the reasons that it's so important to do it is that as, as a screener of, of a resume, listing your uh, stuff as a duty, okay, like an XYZ, basically just tells me you can follow instructions. Okay. But it also tells me that somebody had to tell you probably mm-hmm. what duty you needed to do. Mm-hmm. Whereas if instead you can say that you, you know, improve the overall efficiency of your area by maybe identifying and correcting weaknesses in XYZ, then you've proven something totally different to me as a screener, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So huge difference, but I, I can't explain why more candidates don't do it. Well, at least we've provided them some tips on how to start doing that. The sixth item that was mentioned was that your resume is plagued with inconsistencies. So what does this message send and what do those inconsistencies look like? You know, they can be any variety of things, Katie. A lot of times what we see now, especially with like a LinkedIn as as a popular medium, folks will update their resume, but they won't have made their LinkedIn profile match. Mm Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to match exactly, right? But if your resume indicates you have an interest in radio broadcasting, then your LinkedIn profile shouldn't indicate that you're an environmentalist. Right. As far as LinkedIn goes, you should really just make sure that what you have on your LinkedIn profile and what you have in your resume are similar within the same industries. And you really just don't want to have two widely different things on each of these items because otherwise it just makes you look like you're indecisive and you don't know what to do. Absolutely, Katie. Great Mm -hmm. summary. The seventh item on your list was fit the mold. So what do you mean by this? In the 1960s or 60s, and I I doubt that any of your listeners maybe are that old, but there was a standard format that was totally expected for a resume. Mm -hmm. You know, it had to be on a certain type of paper. It should have been not beyond one page, all the way down to font types, right? Mm -hmm. There was no room for individuality. The cool thing is that it's no longer 1950, and a lot of employers appreciate and actually embrace individuality. Uh, And from a screening standpoint, it definitely, of course, can do wonderful things to make your resume stand out. Mm -hmm. Now, I will tell you that individuality only for the sake of individuality always falls flat with me. Okay. But if it's individuality that's appropriate, then I love it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, an example, if you say you're going to mail your resume in, say we're not able to do it online for whatever reason, and you're going to old school mail your resume in. Mm -hmm. Well, putting it in a red envelope, does nothing for me. Okay. It feels random. Okay. Mm -hmm. But maybe you're going to apply for like a position as a graphic designer for me. Well, instead of sending in a traditional resume, maybe you make your resume look like a greeting card. Okay. It still provides me all the information I need, but yet it showcases your creative abilities that I'm looking for. Well, I really like that example. And kind of this relates a little bit to that eighth tip and that final tip that we're going to talk about. And that is to submit a resume from the 90s. So what do you mean like by this and what parts of the resume are dated and are no longer really considered necessary? That changes every day, Katie. I mean, the Mm -hmm. objective is statement is for one now that employers no longer care about. I mean, it's really considered wasted wasted space on your resume. And and the reason for that is, quite honestly, companies care about themselves. Mm -hmm. They care about their goal. They don't really care about your goal. And if they care about hiring you and bringing you into the fold, they might be more interested in what your uh, long-term desires are, but they can do that during an interview. So the objective statement is one that's pretty much gone. It's no longer recommended or even required that you list your year of college graduation. Okay. Many folks think home addresses are irrelevant, you know, especially with stalking type issues these Mm -hmm. days, that it's, you know, more private of your personal information. 
Now, we are unfortunately running out of time, so just want to give you a couple seconds here at the end to share a final message or a piece of advice with our job seekers regarding this topic. Probably the best thing I could tell you, and it's certainly maybe not exciting, but it's simply this. You get one chance to make a first impression, Mm -hmm. and you want to look at your submission of your materials with the same amount of prep that you would look at a first date. Okay. You know, you want to put your best foot out there. You know, by your six-month anniversary, you may not even brush your teeth. When we get (laughs) resumes with typos, that's what we think of. And with that final piece of advice, we will close out the show on Job Search Guide today. And we've been joined by Kathy Miller-Miller, and she is author of Your Journey from Fired to Hired, which is available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And if you're looking to get in touch with Kathy, you can find her at kathymillermiller.com. And that is Kathy spelled K-A-T-H-I. So, Kathy, thank you for joining us and sharing your expert advice. We do appreciate it. Yes, you're very welcome, Katie. My pleasure. And if you're looking to find more employment-related shows, head over to aljanradio.com. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for future shows, please send me an email at ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com or send me a tweet at the LJN. And once again, I'm your host, Katie Chesney, and I wish you the best of luck with your job search. <laughs>